Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. I'm Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and it's a pleasure to welcome you all to the show this week. We are blessed to have Rushton Hurley with us. He is the author of the uh, relatively new book from NCEA entitled Technology, Teamwork, and Excellence, and uh, we're very much looking forward to having Rushton with us. So, Rushton, welcome. Thanks a lot. I'm excited to be here. Great. And uh, just start off, Rushton, a little bit with your background, um, kind of uh, how'd you get to write the book and uh, your history in Catholic education? Sure. So uh, so there was the womb, or I probably shouldn't go that far back. Um, it, it, well, I'm, a, I'm a former high school teacher. I was a high school teacher of Japanese language. I became a principal of a K-12 in an online school. Uh, and then I started a nonprofit in 2005 called Next Vista for Learning nextvista.org. Uh, and, and to make that little nonprofit go, uh, I have become somebody who, as it turns out, uh, gets paid to speak and to train and things like that. And so I've worked with uh, teachers and school leaders around the world, which is pretty fun and cool. So in doing that, uh, I've learned tons about different ways that, that schools are, are innovatively using technology, not merely because it's tech, but, but, to, but to make learning all the better. And also to, uh, to take their stories to the next level as well. And so I was uh, speaking with someone from NCEA uh, in the last year or two, and there was the suggestion, hey, you know, you could write a book about these things. And I thought, hmm. So uh, that, that was the genesis. And, and the idea of putting it together came from uh, some success I've had with another book called Making Your Teaching Something Special which was built in, uh, in, in chunks, right? So 50 very short chapters, you know, so that someone could read it and, while wolfing down lunch and then say, yeah, I'll try this in the afternoon. In the same way, the, uh, the chapters in uh, technology, teamwork, and excellence are, are quite short so that it, uh, it can benefit leaders who are thinking, hey, let's have these short readings that my, my team can discuss, things like that. Uh, as far as my history with Catholic schools is concerned, uh, most of it has come from Either uh, my work as a as a college teacher in San Antonio when I, I taught Japanese at uh, at a at a Catholic uh, college there, uh, University of the Incarnate Word, uh, or as my work as a person who consults with schools where where we just talk about ideas and and with one school in particular, uh, uh, Junipero Serra High School in San Mateo, I've spent ten years with them as kind of their outsourced instructional coach, and that gives me a chance to help teachers along the way and to give advice to, to their leadership, all while being outside the hierarchy, which uh, proved quite useful as a model. That's great. Uh, thanks for that uh, history. Um, we're going to get into the book, and I'll echo the fact that uh, it is uh, in great short chunks, which is great for busy administrators um, in terms of, of kind of consuming it in, in, in bits and pieces and not... Um, you're not, not some long tome that you have to dedicate time, you know, to sit down and, and get through. Um, you know, obviously, Rushton, I want to get into the book and, and um, talking about technology and, and some of your approach. But we have uh, the COVID-19 uh, crisis uh, in front of us. We've been dealing with this since, uh, you know, since mid-March. And a lot of that has involved moving to remote instruction and obviously teachers utilizing technology um, much more intentionally perhaps than they have in the past. And so just getting your sense of what you've seen um, on the education, in the educational landscape regarding COVID and how people have approached that and 
good, bad, and different uh, in terms of, of approaches um, that you've at least uh, seen from your perspective? Sure. Well, I, I warn you, I could go all day on uh, on that topic, uh, but uh, with with regard to the pandemic, you know, I think you should preface any discussion by by saying that this this is a a horrible, nightmarish thing for for many, many, many people, and it's uh, it it's you know our, our hearts go out to people who've lost loved ones. Uh, I I know a number of people who uh, who have lost people that they care for dearly, and so. That, that's the very first thing to recognize, that we're dealing with something very serious and that's going to be with us for a while. Uh, so understanding that, looking at education, I think what I've seen in working with a lot of schools is that there are plenty of schools who looked at this and said, you know, we're going to figure out how to do right by our students. We are going to make sure that we are, are connecting with them, that they know that, that the caring, stable adults at the school are people that they can count on. Uh, that that we have faith that uh, that this that this too shall pass and that we can get through these things with each other uh, and and in doing that professionally as an educator you see people who have figured out ways to inspire students in the new setting anytime you change settings at all you are introducing the possibility that that some student who hasn't really really connected in the previous setting might stop and go hmm this this works quite well for me you can imagine just taking a class outside once, uh, once in a while, just to get a new perspective on, on, on the world and how you talk about things. Now, this is obviously far, far greater than that. But on the other hand, there are students for whom a classroom setting was was very, very difficult for concentrating, and uh, the social dynamics of the classroom were very difficult. And, and now, the flexibility over when they get things done and the uh, the added uh, the added time often that they have to to focus on it has been quite constructive. Now, it, the reverse is true for students as well. Uh, there are a lot of different things to factor in when you're talking about you know, how this helps and hurts education. But, but one thing above all is that those schools who said, you know, we are going to figure out how to meaningfully continue educating our students. We're not, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna just you know, throw up our hands and say, you know, we'll see you in the fall. We're not going to just send them a, a big packet of worksheets and, and call it a day. We are going to connect with them and talk with them and encourage them and work to inspire them. And there, there are all kinds of technology to make it happen. And uh, one school that I'm thinking of uh, that, that I think provides a really illustrative story as to the effects of taking that, that approach uh, was a school that in the, in the early part of March uh, of this year, they decided, hey, this it was it was after Japan closed its schools. They decided, okay, we're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna prepare for this. And they had a few days to actually do some work preparing their staff before they had to close much sooner than any of them predicted. That was at the beginning of March. Uh, so so relatively quickly, they had they had quite good uh, instruction going on. It, it you know it hit and miss. Uh, they were learning things as they went for sure, but it was still continuing. And so you look at, uh, at, at kind of a standard metric at about that time of year. So early in March uh, in, that part of, uh, in, in that part of the country, uh, schools often will send out acceptances. You've been accepted to the school. At the end of March, families uh, choose to enroll. So there is some percentage of students that enroll, right, who will enroll at the end of March uh, based on what they learn about the different schools that, that they're considering. 
Uh, and, and at a time when a lot of people said, well, this is going to be really hard on private schools uh, because, uh, you know, why, why not, you know, if, it, if it's all online, why not just send somebody to some local, local school or whatever? Well, the answer in this case was that the local schools had, re had largely botched the, uh, the, the online instruction thing. They'd move spring break forward and not really trained their people, and so they were just kind of hoping it would go away, and it didn't. And, and so what happened was uh, an unusually high percentage of the people accepted to this school enrolled. Now, we don't know for sure that the reason for that is that, that they had, had done a good job of moving to uh, online instruction, but, but it's not a bad guess. Uh, families stopping and saying, you know, if my kid's going to be going to school and, and, you know, using Zoom this fall, uh, I want my kid to be in a school where they seem to know what they're doing or they're, they're working hard to get there quickly. And so when we think about COVID, I mean, we, we really need to look at this and say, you know, um, there are opportunities here for us to, to take a strong, hard look at our, our, our distinctiveness as a school, uh, our professionalism as a staff, our willingness to reach out to our kids, our ability to tell our stories, and all of these things uh, matter tremendously to the families in the area, and therefore they matter to the long-term health of the school. That's great. You said a lot of really wise things there, I think. Um, you know, first, the whole idea that, uh, that some students might be thriving in this type of environment. And again, obviously, putting the major caveat that this is a, a tragedy on so many levels, and we keep in prayer all those uh, obviously impacted by the health uh, the health impacts. But um, that leads me to kind of think in two in terms of my role, you know, as chief innovation officer of, of what can we learn from this process and actually then incorporate into schools moving forward so it becomes something that, you know, we can actually improve schools on the other end because of, of what we've learned. Um, and then just the approach in terms of schools really um, – uh, kind of embracing this as a challenge and knowing that everyone was on an even plane when this happened. No one was an expert. No one knew how to transition a school to a remote environment in a matter of days or weeks. And so everyone being on that same plane, you could see schools that could respond more quickly, uh, more innovatively, more creatively uh, with resilience. And, um, and that just, I think, really kind of... Uh, was illustrative in terms of, of how to approach um, innovation in general and uh, and how do you kind of adapt to change. It was almost kind of a microcosm of that process that you'd like to see uh, with a number of different initiatives. Um, you know, what I want to talk to, I'll get into the book a little bit, uh, and I'll talk about a general theme and then maybe ask you a specific question. Y your approach is something I've, I've kind of said for a long time, which is maybe why it really resonated with me, is that I almost feel like you're saying, let's not talk about devices or let's not talk about specific technology. Um, I always worry when people say we're very innovative because we've got iPads in every classroom or we've got smart boards up or something, right? Because those things in and of themselves are not innovative at all. It's how you're, how you're utilizing them. And you really, almost the whole book really talks about that, of how are you building a culture at your school? And the first story uh, early in the book, 
you talk uh, about a few different folks who made that really dramatic comment that I'd have my child in any classroom in this school, any classroom in the school, you know, roll the dice and, and I would do it because, and you make the comment that the culture is so strong at that school that they just have faith that that culture would win out. So how do you approach um, building that culture uh, from your experience? Well, there's so many things you've said that, that made me want to say, amen, preach on, right? <laughs> that, uh, that we're, we're certainly in sync on these ideas. The, the innovation is not a function of devices. It's, it's just not. Uh, it, it, is, it is a function of, of a professional outlook towards how we get students to think about their own possibilities. And, and so when, when you think about building the kind of school where, where anyone would say, any teacher, any of these teachers does not matter to me. If that's the kind of school you want, then obviously you need to, to think in terms of how do I build this team? How do I build them individually? How do I build them corporately so that, so that they have the kind of collegiality that, that lends itself to creating stories of academic success that everyone can get excited about? And there's a number of things that, that you do, a very, very few of which have anything to do with technology, right? You, you, you have to have people in, in a mode where they, they get over themselves. Uh, so, you know, that, that has to do both with, uh, with great egos and with egos that are not big enough. So, you know, you can imagine those who, uh, who are, are, you know, a little nervous, like, oh, you know, I, I, can't, I can't really seem to do the things that these other teachers can do, you know, and, and that, that can kind of lead to, hey, you over there doing a lot, would, would you kind of tone it down? You're making the rest of us look bad. That kind of environment has no place in a school, and particularly a school of faith, where we have, we, we have heard a calling to do whatever we can to build the academic and personal confidence of our students so that they can go and make a difference in the world. Uh, and and the, the good news is that if, if you have, you know, somebody like that on, on your staff, on your team, that, that that person is only a few steps away from being a whole lot happier as someone who can say, huh, show me a little bit more about that. I mean, my whole message in, in all of these books, right, uh, is little things make you better. Little things make you better. Maybe you learn to do things like go from asking at the end of class, do you have any questions, to asking, hey, what questions do you have? Now, you could also say, you, you know, that would be the same shift in, uh, in wording at the end of a meeting. I do a lot of work to help people understand how to, uh, how to make their meetings better, right? You know, what, what do you do to rally a team? Well, it's not gather them in a room and read a bunch of announcements at them, you know, guaranteed. Oh, but if, if I don't do that, you see, they won't read the announcements. Of course they don't read the announcements. They know you're going to read them at them. Um, you know, so instead, you have to kind of be in that space of saying, here we go, you know, th this is what's expected, and maybe I'm tossing, you know, a few, uh, you know, a few Easter eggs in there as we go, and things like that, uh, and, and make that fun. And, and you can end up with, with time spent professionally where people, you know, where people are glad to be there, where, where it's interesting, where they're building each other up, where they're getting inspired. And, and if you look at technology and you think about the storytelling capabilities that so many freely available tools now provide. This is a time where if you're not putting out inspiring stories about your school, you're not paying attention, right? It's, it's not that your school isn't doing them. 
great things are happening at schools. The question is whether anybody knows. And that's really a function of whether you've got the kind of professional environment where people are comfortable talking about successes and failures and that not becoming drama of some kind. So, so I look at all of this and I say, you know, whether we're, whether we're meeting in person or online or both, whatever it is, we have to stop and say, how are we learning from successes? How are we constantly helping each other grab little ideas that we take and we try it with the kids and we, we turn back to the kids and we say, hey, what did you think of that? Or maybe that bombed. But if we were to change it in the future, what should we do so that it would be good for your learning? And the kids will come up with ideas. They're not used to being asked in most schools, what they think about, about the process of learning. And so build, building that environment where the students, the staff are all kind of inspired really to, to say, hey, let's do really cool things and let's tell these stories will yield a much healthier school in, in every respect. And you're so right too about a teacher trying something risky perhaps and, and bombing at it and then telling the kids, you know, oh, that bombed. How can we make it better next time? Is such a great exemplar for students to understand that they can fail and learn from that failure and grow from that. Um, and I love your um, really stressing the importance of storytelling. We do, you know, there's so much talk about marketing schools and marketing schools. We have to do a better job marketing our schools. And, you know, we really do just bring that back so much to that's telling a story about your school that's compelling to people who might want to enroll and might want to be there. And so really nurturing that culture of storytelling, nurturing that culture of continuous improvement and, and constant growth, I think uh, really does in, engender that um, so well. Um, you, uh, you kind of get to this too, but you talk about uh, students having some of the expertise. This is something we know obviously with apps and technology and how you know kids today are just going to kind of naturally adapt to the, the latest technology trends a, a little bit more readily than perhaps um, adults and older people will. And teachers have to let go sometimes of being the expert in the classroom. So talk a little bit about that, how we want to allow students maybe to, to be the expert in some of these areas. And so teachers aren't kind of putting, um, putting the brakes on something that could actually be a really rich learning experience. Cool. I, I, I love that you asked that. Um, in, in part because I feel like when, when most teachers talk about this topic, they, they talk about it very one-dimensionally. Oh, the kids, they, they know everything about technology. And the answer to that is no, they don't. What, what they know is how to do what they want to do. They, they know how to do things that have intrigued them and they've looked at friends and said, hey, how'd you do that? And they learn that from each other. So, so they know no fear with regard to trying things. Now, the important thing for teachers, even teachers who would say, oh, tech savvy, not really me, you know, you know those kinds of things, well, would, would be this. You have the expertise you need. What? But, but, I, but I don't know much about computers. The expertise you need is the ability to ask a good question. So when a kid is working with a particular kind of tech and you ask, hey, what does that do? And then the kid, you know, begins to talk about it. Well, it does this and this and this. Tell me more, right? This, this, and this. How could that be used for evil, right? <laughs> you know, those are the good questions, right? Where you stop and you say, I don't know whether it is or it isn't, but, but I want to I explore it. I'm curious. I want to know. That also conveys to the kids that they can be equal partners in a very interesting conversation about things that are important in our society right now. And so what we want to do is, is we want to let the kids know 
that, that our ability to guide them about how they think about the technology they use, whether or not we know exactly how to use it, is the key piece. So it's not a function of I know how to do every last thing in any given app or program. That's just not it at all. Uh, what our job is is to figure out what will inspire them. And so you know, if you if you take in a, a, a conference or 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 a seventy three amazing things you can do you know book or or whatever it might be, uh, and and you and you get overwhelmed because you're like I I can't learn all these things. That's not your job. Don't learn all those things. Your job is to look for the things that inspire you and therefore make you think you can use them to inspire the kids. So if you if you hear about a hundred different tools. And you walk away with, I'm going to really concentrate on these two. You did it right. That's our job, to, to, to find ways to get the kids to channel their fearlessness about how to try things with tech into their ability to be academically confident and mature about how they talk about what they have learned in those contexts. So my little nonprofit is, is largely a video library. It's a free library of videos by and for teachers and students everywhere. And... Uh, and what I have found over the 15 years that we've built this library of about 2,700 videos now uh, is that a lot of teachers, if, if they have enough courage to have, allow the kids to make a video, they're just excited that the kids made a video. As opposed to, all right, let's try doing a video project, but let's, let's just kind of take our time, write a script, let's talk about the script. Is that a good script? Uh, you know, does it say the things that it should? Are you saying anything confusing? Could, could your viewer be, be you know, led astray in understanding this based on, on what you've said here? And then you try putting something together and then you talk about it together. Hey, let's take a look at everyone's drafts. What do we see? What, what suggestions do you have? Kids start learning to do things like uh, to, to get and give feedback where you, know, you show somebody your draft and they say, wow, you know, and then give you like this suggestion that you think is ridiculous. And what you learn to do is to say, oh, thank you. And, and then go back and perhaps the teacher has said, write down the suggestion that, that you were given and then why you will choose to or not to follow that suggestion or how you'll adjust with it. Where it's a process where they're learning to revise their work and get to a point where people can say meaningfully, see, that's really, really good. Really, in essence, what we're trying to do in our classes is to give students the opportunity to create something that is genuinely good, and so when they're praised for it, they know that it's meaningful praise and not just, you did, you did the minimum and it happens to be right, so aren't you a genius? That's not what we're doing. We're trying to get them to see what's possible when they push themselves and, and take the things that they know in terms of technology or anything else to another level via our good questions. That's great. Obviously, um, the important piece to this is, is, is the teachers you have in the classroom. And I, you have, a, I think I counted right, about four parts on hiring. Um, something involved with making sure you're bringing on the right, the right folks um, in the classroom. One piece I want to um, focus on is something I've thought about as well is um, we sometimes think we have to make a choice in education. It's a person who has technology expertise, but they're not a very good teacher, or they're a very, very good teacher, and they don't necessarily have technology expertise. And it's like we, we look for that holy, 
that, that that person who has both those skills somehow is like the magical person. And and you uh, you actually do talk about that a little bit. So how do we address those two? I mean, I guess they they appear maybe on the surface as being two different type of skill sets. But how do we how do we think about that when we're trying to hire a teacher to do what you just described in terms of kind of getting the kids to be really excited about um, about the quality of the product they're producing and, and analyzing um that process. Yeah, I think I think the the nature of the follow-up questions once once you've determined kind of which which camp a given interviewee probably is in, right? Uh, if that's a person who seems to teach really well but but isn't doing much with technology, you say, "Okay, well, t- tell me about how you inspire kids and just see what they have to say because because it may be that your belief about their their weaknesses with technology come from their having said, "I'm not very good with technology," but they may come from an environment where they're actually much better at it. Than, than the people in the setting that they're about to enter. So y- y- you never know, right? Uh, but by asking how do you inspire them, period, you start getting a sense of, okay, this is somebody who tries interesting things, tech or no, uh, that learns from the kinds of things that, that they try and, and don't succeed at. Uh, there are people who bring something interesting to the team because you know they don't just limit themselves to, to canned stuff that is, is pat, put in front of them. But instead, you know, they, they reach out for the kinds of cool possibilities and, and uh, templates and, and all sorts of resources that are out there. That, that will let you know that person's just fine. If the person seems to be great with technology and talking about that and not talking about kids at all, different set of questions. So, okay, now the person's like, yeah, yeah I, I can do this and this. And I, and I have my, you know, company name certified educator, blah, 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 you know, or anything like that. You say, okay, that, that, that's great. How do you use that stuff to inspire kids? And then here comes an answer about some cool project. How do you know that inspired kids? Uh, well, you know, they seem pretty excited about it. How do you know that that was actually good for their learning? And I think you can kind of get into a place pretty quickly where, where that, that person does, does pay attention to taking things to the next level. So I, I remember visiting a school in Mexico. I think it was uh, Monterrey, Mon- Monterrey. Um, some years ago, and and I was taken to a school that uh, re- real proud of all they do, you know, an, an Apple distinguished school as well. I mean, it just and, and a cool place, a very cool place. Uh, I was K to eight, I think, right? Uh, and so I was uh, taken to their uh, media lab uh, where a group of students uh, they were putting together uh, books that they were going to publish through the uh, Apple the Apple bookstore. Uh, you know, I mean, just you know, kind of cool stuff, right? Uh, and and I was talking to the kids and, and they were showing me some stuff they had made and I said wow that's really cool because it looked good right you know and and they all beamed by the way they could all speak English just fine uh, my, my Spanish is, is not where it needs to be on that front um, and they, they beamed and I said wow so how do you how do you know it's good and they kind of looked at me like what I said I, you know it looks good I said no no what, what I mean is this is designed to teach somebody how do you know it does that what 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 tells you that, that it's effective and and you know they went very quickly from oh you know we haven't been you know kind of praised immediately to hey that's a great question you know so, so they they left they they embraced the opportunity to discuss that kind of thing pretty quickly but it's just true in so many places that if if some kind of learning is packaged in technology then suddenly it's it's supposed to be great no 
what we need to know is that, that the kid is, is able to meaningfully talk about the concepts that, that they've encountered in the curriculum, that they can draw connections in, in ideally creative ways to other things that they might have encountered in, in other classes or uh, in, at, at other moments in their lives, uh, and that they're using technology to compellingly tell the story of their learning. Now the result of that is like I talked about quite a bit um, in early in the book, and I think you've even referenced uh, before, is, is not simply a good example of a learning moment, but a story of the school. And so this becomes something where you stop and you say, how do, how do we get that out there? You know, and so, so coming back to the idea of hiring, stories become something you can ask about. What, what's, what's a story of learning in your teaching that has become something that was important to a school? Now, you might find somebody has no good answer for that. That does not mean they wouldn't be a fantastic person to add to your team. But, uh, but if they do have a good answer, then that's a wonderfully cool sign that you're talking to someone quite promising. So, so as I see it, you know, we, we, look at, we, we look at that distinction between, uh, you know, between good rapport and uh, tech savvy, and it, it really just dictates which questions we ask in order to get back to the same place. That's great. Uh, really, really great. Um, so I want to close, and I'm gonna, um, I just gonna share a title of one of your la latter chapters, and let you kind of go on this, because I love the title, and I love those concepts you talk about it, and it's the aspirin teacher and the log of good moments. So, so talk about the aspirin teacher and the log of good moments, Rushton. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, th there will be those, I'm sure, who are like, oh, that's a terrible thing to do. Um, so, so the the aspirin as a, as a leader. The aspirin teacher is the person who comes into your presence and your head begins to throb. All right, so, so you might say, oh my gosh, that's a terrible way to refer to somebody, and, and maybe it is. Um, I, I would contend, though, that uh, there, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. And of course, what that is, is a function of, of a history of communication that tends not to be something that you welcome. Okay, fine. So the question then becomes, all right, how, how do you shift conversation with that teacher such that you can still tap into that person's talents for the benefits of the team and, and his or her students uh, and, and channel that person towards a better way of communicating given the way things work at your school. Uh, now, if you, if you can do that well, uh, you are making life better for everybody, including, let's be blunt, you. So, uh, so when we talk about the log of good moments, uh, there, there's there's a number of different ways to look at this, but essentially it's, it's the kind of thing where you're keeping track of good moments. Uh, a lot of us will encounter good moments and say, that's great, and we'll smile at each other, and then we go on with our days, and we haven't done anything with it. So if, if, you, you know, if you are talking with one of your teachers, and everyone has learned that at the point of a good moment, their job is to write it down. Write it down? Well, maybe they're putting it in their phone. Maybe they're, 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 they've built a simple Google form where you know, they're just kind of reporting it to themselves and they can easily get back to it. I mean, there's, any, there, there's, there's techie things to talk about with regard to that, but the idea is the important one. So there's, there's a lot of techie pieces of how you can go about that, but, but it's the thought that counts, right? So, so why, why is it useful to, for people to be tracking good moments? So for example, when a kid really has a breakthrough or when you see a colleague do something really cool or when a parent says something really nice about one of the coaches. I mean, whatever, whatever it is, if people are into the habit of tracking these things, then imagine that you're in a, in a, in a moment 
where, uh, where a teacher, aspirin teacher or no, is really upset about something. Um, okay, you're now, now you're managing uh, emotions as well, uh, but maybe one of the things you've made clear to the entire team is that, that there are moments when you will ask your team to stop whatever it is they're worried about at the moment and to pull forth something from the log of good moments. Uh, and and if, you, if you talk about that enough and, and caringly, people will understand that this, this is a way of, of pushing reset. It's a chance to focus on something really good for just a moment. All right, you know, what's the last thing you put in your log of good moments? We'll come, we'll come back to your, your issue here, I promise, but, but what is it? And then maybe, well, so I was talking with this parent yesterday and, hey, that's, that's really, really cool. Now that's given you a, li a little bit of time to think about the issue at hand. And, and buying time is always important when you're thinking about how to manage uh, people who are, are upset, right? Uh, and, and then you can kind of come back and say, so, you know, what, what I think I hear you saying back with this, this other topic is this, or, or am I in the ballpark? Help me out if I'm not, right? You know, and, and, and just try to get people to kind of buy into a style of talking about an issue so that, uh, so that you can be as constructive with it as possible. This is a time, of course, when, when people are largely stressed out of their minds, right? You know, can I, can I do what, I've, what I need to do? Am, am I safe? Are, are, the, are the kids safe? Are the, you know, you know I, mean, I, I was talking to a principal fairly recently who said that she had talked uh, with, with uh, a, a parent of, of one of her students, and, and this, this was in, a, this was in uh, Brooklyn, I believe, right? And, and, and the, you know, it was one of those things where three members of the family had passed away due to COVID and three people on their floor in the apartment complex they were in had, had also contracted and passed away from it. So, so the level of stress on people is extreme. So as a leader, you have to be in that space where you essentially say, I am going to find the right way to help my people get through what they need to get through. And a lot of it is stuff that I can't anticipate now, but, but you know, you, know <laughs> you, you, you take the examples from the Gospels, you know, what, whatever it takes, right? You know, just to stop and go, I, I, have to be, I have to be kind and caring because there are a lot of things on the plate. And, and what I want to do is I want to inspire my people to see that they can get through this, that they can do this uh, well even, and that they can reach kids that maybe they haven't reached before as a result of the changes and all of this becomes part of how we see ourselves as a group and learn from each other. Wow, well, that's such great, beautiful advice, uh, Rushton. And obviously, you can see uh, doing processes like that, how that helps to build that positive culture that we were talking about uh, when we started our conversation. Uh, Rushton, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Again, Rushton Hurley has been uh, our guest, the author of Technology Teamwork and Excellence, uh, a book that we uh, strongly recommend uh, for schools uh, as you especially begin this year um, with some uncertainty regarding technology and remote learning and hybrid and all of those things. We think it'd be a great resource. So Rushton, thanks again. My pleasure. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer, and this is NCEA Podcast for this week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.